Let's take our Bibles this evening to Psalm 82, please. Psalm 82. Now, according to the superscription, Psalm 82 was penned by the Levite Asaph. David had tasked him with presiding over the singing in the house of Yahweh. So this is a Levitical hymn, and this Levitical hymn is a lament over injustice and God's rebuke of unjust rulers. The psalm begins with God judging the rulers, and it ends with God judging the earth. Now, friends, the ideal for justice is impartiality. All are to be held equal under the law. And likewise, violation of said law should bring just punishment. According to this understanding, the law is to be the absolute standard by which a society is organized and a community in a fallen world is made possible. Sadly, however, in our culture, the whole theory of the law is up for grabs today. We have so many people today, even in authority, who believe that the law is the majority opinion of any given society at any given time. And yet, for us as believers, we need to understand that there is an absolute transcendent, unchanging law upon which moral order of humanity is to be based, and that is God's law. So let's be clear. The laws of any society are only going to be just to the degree that they reflect the revealed law of God. As we work through Psalm 82 this evening, we're going to see God's rebuke of unjust rulers, and we're going to look at this from two perspectives. First of all, verses 1 through 5, we're going to see the summons of God. And then in verses 6 through 8, we're going to see the sentence of God. So let's begin with the summons of God. And he opens in the first two verses with a charge. God takes his stand in his own congregation. He judges in the midst of the rulers. How long will you judge unjustly? and show partiality to the wicked, Selah. Now before we get to the actual charge, notice verse 1 announces that God stands in His own congregation. In other words, God is calling His court into session. He is the judge. He is the king. King of kings, judge of judges, lord of lords, and He's going to gather them all up, and he says, now I'm going to drop some judgment on you. He's calling his court in the session. He's standing in his own congregation. He's standing amongst his rulers. And he is going to judge them, he tells us. Now it's interesting, the word rulers here, is some, in some translations is translated as gods with a small g, O-D-S. And we'll comment more on that in a moment. But the idea here is that they're mighty ones. They're people in authority. And these ones in authority, as we know from Romans 13 and other passages, are in authority because God has put them there. God has ordained every human authority. And being there means that they are supposed to act on God's behalf. And therefore... If leaders do not act on God's behalf, in other words, if leaders aren't enforcing God's law, if they're not upholding God's standard of justice and morality, then God says, I'm going to hold them accountable. And so the charge we see here is twofold. First of all, He charges them with injustice. 
These rulers are executing a godlike function in bringing about judgment and justice. But God says, you have judged unjustly. In other words, he's accusing them of having a double standard. He's accusing them of having a law for one person and a different law for another person. It kind of reminds you of the unjust judge in Luke 18. A poor woman went to the judge time and time again and he would not listen to her, wouldn't hear, wouldn't give her the time of day until he finally got so exasperated, he finally said, what do you want? I'll do whatever you want, just get off my back. He was an unjust judge because she didn't have status, because she may not have had money, she didn't have uh, the right connections, she wasn't heard. He was unjust. So he charges these leaders, these rulers, these authorities with injustice. And then he charges them with inequity. Not iniquity, though there's plenty of that to go around, but inequity. I-N-E-Q-U-I-T-Y. He says you have shown partiality to the wicked. You have refused, God says, to apply the standard of justice equally and properly. You have favored some, and you have oppressed others, or even neglected others. And he says this has been going on indefinitely. The idea of indefiniteness comes out of, first of all, how long. In other words, it's been going on a long time. And then, coming out of the verb show partiality, indicating that this, again, has been an ongoing Issue. This isn't, you know, oh, it just happened. No, this has been ongoing, 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 and God has finally said, enough is enough. So that's the charge in verses 1 and 2. Notice the challenge in verses 3 to 5. Again, we're dealing with the summons of God. He summons the judges before Him. He summons the leaders that He has put in authority over us. He summons them to his, before Him. He gives out the charge. You've, been in, you've committed injustice. You've committed inequity. Now look at the challenge. Vindicate the weak and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and destitute. Rescue the weak and needy. Deliver them out of the hand of the wicked. They do not know, nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. God now says to these rulers, to these authorities, He now says to them, you need to change. First of all, verse 3, vindicate the weak and fatherless. He's telling them right there, you need to defend the weak and fatherless. See, my friends, when God established human government, first and foremost, He established it as a defense of the good and punishment of the wicked doer, the evil one. When He says here in verse 3, vindicate the weak and fatherless, He literally means, the word vindicate literally means judge righteously, judge justly, defend them. It's kind of what Isaiah says in chapter 1 and verse 17. Learn to do good. And he's writing here to the, to the rulers. Seek justice. Reprove the ruthless. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. Even James picks up that same theme in the, in the epistle of James when he says, Pure and undefiled religion is this. 
And then he goes on to talk about the fact that, you know, as believers, we should be known as what? Defending the weak and the fatherless, the orphan, the widowed, those in society who can't help themselves, who need someone to come alongside and hold them up. We need to heed God's warning to Israel in Amos 2 when he said, I will not turn away its punishments. He says, I'm not turning away punishment from the nation of Israel. Why? Because they sold the righteous for silver. Mm, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Thinking about Judas selling Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And they sell the poor for a pair of sandals. In other words, he says, you're making money off the back of the weak, of the fatherless, of the righteous. And he says, I'm bringing judgment down on you for it. The second challenge comes in verses 4 and 5. Not only are they to defend the weak and the fatherless, but he says, deliver the weak and needy, the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and needy. Deliver them out of the hand of the wicked. You know, rulers are to do justice for those who are weak, those who are needy. And in doing this, they are to be acting on God's behalf. Literally dispensing justice in his place. Now the term rescue and deliver in verse 4, rescue the weak and needy, deliver them out of the hand of the wicked, means, first of all, rescue means to snatch prey out of an animal's mouth. In other words, you need to snatch them out of the mouth of the way. Snatch them out, get them out of the situation they're in, where they're about to be destroyed. And deliver means... Bring them into security. Help them escape that situation. In other words, God's exhortation to the ruler is that they are to be actively changing the social environment so that justice prevails. And in order to do this, rulers are not simply to uphold God's law. They need to obey God's law themselves. Oh, they're great to hold up God's law, but will they obey God's law themselves? God's justice is to both be defended and done. And for those in authority, there is not to be a separation between theory and practice. When injustice is exposed, justice must be pursued. The weak, the needy, the poor, the defenseless have a right to an impartial justice, a fair hearing, and an equitable adjustment. As if in an aside, we come to verse 5. And it's almost as if God is sighing. They do not know, nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. Now the they there, let's be clear who the they. The they is the leaders. The rulers, the people in authority. He says, they fail, the rulers fail, to act with knowledge and understanding. They are literally groping around in the darkness. In other words, there is scant hope of them helping anybody else because they themselves are in need of direction. As Willem Prinsloo states in his commentary on Psalms, instead of allowing justice to prevail, they behave in such a way that there's total chaos. Well, I'll tell you, the Word of God is so relevant, isn't it? Friends, justice must be modeled and experienced. 
Otherwise, all justice becomes, if, if, if it's not going to be modeled and experienced by those in authority, it is going to become a remote concept. Justice is going to become, become distorted by the injustice of this world. And here's what happens when rulers are unjust. Here's what's happening right now when those in authority, those ordained by God, fail to do what God has commissioned them to do. It breeds skepticism, cynicism, racism, and desperatism. And in our modern world, it's also breeding dictatorships, where the law of God is replaced with the law or the will of the leader. This is why today moral order is like jello. And as a result of their failure to act justly, notice what verse 5 says, all the foundations of earth are shaken. Literally, the foundations of society are unstable. In other words, let me break it down in case you don't understand what that means. God says there will be a breakup of all civil order and anarchy and confusion inevitably ensue. So if you want to really get to the heart of the matter biblically, theologically, let's get down to the brass tacks here and discover that you want to know why there's anarchy? You want to know why there's inevitable confusion? You want to know why there's a breakup of civil order? Let's go right back to where the buck needs to stop. And that's with the authorities, first and foremost. Now, I'm not saying everybody else isn't responsible. Hey, we're all responsible before a holy God. But understand right here, Psalm 82 makes it very clear that when you see these kind of things playing out, here's why. Because God's dropping some judgment. As John MacArthur states, when leaders rule unjustly, the divinely established moral order which undergirds human existence is undermined. So that's God's summons. He's charged them with injustice and inequity, and He's challenged them to defend the weak, the fatherless, and deliver the weak and needy. Now let's look at verses 6 to 8 and see God's sentence, the sentence of God. Starts out first with a condemnation in verse 6 and 7. I said you are gods, and all of you are sons of the Most High. Nevertheless, you will die like men and fall like any one of the princes. First of all, in his condemnation, he says, Listen, I'm bringing death and I'm bringing disgrace. Notice how he addresses these rulers as gods. Again, small g-o-d-s. He's stating because... I have ordained your authority and placed you in that position. You're supposed to act on at my behest. You're supposed to act divinely. And that's why he says, you are sons of the Most High. In other words, you know, you are my spiritual successor. I've ordained you. I've put you here. You're to act on my behalf. And when you don't execute my will and my character, there's going to be problems. God says, I've honored you with my authority, my identity. Now you ought rightly consider your duties and perform them in fear with great caution. See, rulers are to have two arms. 
One, to help those who suffer injustice, and the other, to restrain those who commit evil. And they need to recall their exalted identity because God he says here, I have established your destiny. I don't care how godlike you may be, you're going to die like men. I'm going to bring you to an end. And I'm going to not only bring you to death, I'm going to bring you to disgrace. You will fall like any one of the princes. Their destiny and God's judgment makes them very human. They will fall like one of the princes. The verb here can refer either to violent death or literally going through public disgrace, humiliation, financial ruin, whatever God determines to bring on them. He's going to strip them of their honors. He's going to stick them out like a common man. No longer will they be God's representative. No longer will they be God's minister of justice. That's his condemnation. He says, you don't want to act justly. You don't want to uphold morality. You don't want to do right before me. Then here's what's coming. Death and disgrace. Now notice the challenge in verse 8. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for it is you who possesses all the nations. The psalmist cries out, God, rise up. Get up from your throne and execute justice and judgment. The call is for God to do what the unjust judge refuses to do. And as we've seen, this means not only for God to uphold His law, but God establish right relationships, bring about a just society, bring about a righteous order. And I praise God that while we may not see it, unfortunately, in our lifetime, I praise God that there will be a day when the King of Kings, the righteous judge, comes and reigns on this earth and He takes out every one of those wicked, demonic rulers, those antichrists, and He sets up His righteous kingdom. What a day of rejoicing that will be. He will establish justice in the earth, Revelation 20. He will bring all uh, nations under His authority and rule in peace. You know, as I go through the Bible, I come to the Old Testament prophets. And in their complaints of the evils of their day, the number one complaint of every one of the prophets was this. The injustice of the rulers and the neglect of the causes of the poor. And I find that fascinating. Man, there really is nothing new under the sun is there. Still, no crimes are supposed to undermine more swiftly the public confidence and produce more and more so social mischief than those committed by mercenary authorities who give decisions in view of their own interest rather than on the basis of what is just and right. And that's exactly why God brought judgment on Israel. That is exactly why He has brought judgment on other countries. That is exactly why He is bringing judgment on us today. As a friend said to me the other day, He brought the ten plagues upon Egypt. He'll bring what He needs to bring upon this country. What then can we say in conclusion? Well, when cracks appear in the integrity of those who make, administer, and enforce laws in our society, we must be as outraged by it as the psalmist, and we too must cry out to God to intervene in the affairs of men. We need to cry out, Lord, bring righteousness. Lord, bring justice. Lord, root out and replace the corruption and the prejudice with incorruption and impartiality. Micah 6.8 
He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. Let us pray. Father God in heaven, I just come to you now. Heartbroken, Father, over the events of this past week. Father, sickening. Heartbreaking. Despairing. All terms we've heard. And many more. And Lord, I pray that you would have mercy. Mercy on those who have lost loved ones. Mercy on those, Father, who have been the victim of injustice. Father, I pray that we would cry out for mercy. That we would cry out for righteousness. That we would cry out for judgment and justice. Father God, I pray, not only would we examine our leaders, but we would examine ourselves. That, Father, before we start looking in, at everybody else, we'd consider ourselves. And, Father, if there be any wickedness in us, call us out on it. Reprove us of it, Father, and bring us to repentance. Father, if, if we're not walking humbly before you, Lord, humble us. If we're not loving kindness, if, if kindness isn't on our lips and in our life, oh Lord, I pray that you'd bring us to a place to humble us so that we would learn what that means. And Father, I pray that if there is no justice, if Lord, our idea of justice is what's good for me and forget the rest, or if Father, we don't see the plight of others but only see our own selfish interest, Oh, Father, I pray that you would purge that from us. Purge the sin from us, Father, that causes us to look down our nose at others. May we not be like the Levite. May we not be like the priest. But may we be like the Samaritan, who when he saw a person who he perceived was an enemy, but nonetheless was in need of help, he came alongside and helped, bandaged his wounds, got him to a place where he could receive attention, and Father, from his own pocket, paid for that man's care. Help us to be that gracious. Help us to be that good Samaritan. Father, as you bring judgment... I pray that you might bring repentance. Righteous is the nation whose God is the Lord. Father, we confess that this nation is far from right. So we repent and we cast ourselves before you. In your son's precious and holy name, amen.